Ooh, but my uncle who is divorced and remarried officiated the ceremony. Well, God hates divorce and so like that was the problem <laughs> with your marriage. It's a bad omen. Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction from your middle-aged mom friends. I'm Lindsay and I am not divorced, but if that's what you want to do, you do you. I support you. And I'm Meg, and I am not divorced, but I am a child of divorce. So that was a whole part of my childhood. And I'm Sarai, and I'm so divorced. You cannot even believe how divorced I actually am. I am curious, Lindsay and Meg, what you remember learning about divorce when you were a kid growing up in evangelical Christianity. Mm, I mean, not allowed. <laughs> I was like, just a big a lot no. about it. Yeah, I learned <laughs> that it was not. It was good. a no, never. hard pass. Yeah, never ever. Yeah, no, right. not allowed. Well, okay, there, there, adultery, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know what adultery meant for a really long time. I just knew that if you had adultery, you could divorce, but even then, you should probably try to forgive them and make it work. Well, first of all, yes. <laughs> And if you get divorced without adultery involved, then you're still an adulterer. And the wife especially is forever an adulterer because if she marries someone else, she's Mm. committing adultery against her first husband. Gosh, that's really complicated. about that. Yeah. Yeah. I just knew. So when I was really young, I remember I had one set of grandparents. They like were still married. My parents are still married. You know, it's like. Marriage was a big thing that was like heralded in my family. And my aunt, um, when I was little, her husband left her when she had like a two-month-old. He cheated on her and left her oh for the little man to cheat on. Oh, my gosh. And rude. Not rude. okay. Yeah, not okay. It's like the worst time for it, I honestly. Know, I know. Literally. So selfish. Yeah, yeah. Not was not great. Don't get me wrong. But – you know, t- so much time passed. And I just remember that I would go to bed and every single night I would pray that my uncle would come back to my aunt. Because oh. in my head, that was yeah. the only, like, they needed to reconcile. He needed to be sorry and he needed to come back because she was so sad, you know. And of course, and it's be funny. with the baby and, and the family needed to stay whole. There was a lot of family wholeness. Yeah, you know, I just that remember was it was a really big deal to me when I was little and I, I was like really fixated on the fact that he needed to and I don't know if that's like something that my family told you know it was just to me like marriages were meant to stay together even if someone did something really bad they can what age do you think you were I was five or six I want to say so wow yeah really they, he never did have he that. never did come back and my aunt is again like happily she's she's now on her third husband and but this seems like the right one and it's so funny because again in a family that was very anti-divorce no one talks about the fact that she's gotten divorced multiple times it's like fine i don't know why you know christians we like to glaze That's, over the, we can't talk about that we don't no. talk about bruno in evangelical Christian circles, you know? That's mm-hmm. that's our whole thing is like let's just never speak of this again. It wasn't until my parents um had gotten divorced that I found out my dad had been married before my mom. Hmm. So not only had he kept his first marriage, they both kept his first marriage quiet and hidden from us. It wasn't until after their divorce that we even found out about it. So 
That is wild. Some weird things that people didn't talk about, such as, I don't know, legal relationships that they had. Yeah, it is. It's really an interesting thing. So I grew up in, you know, my younger years before my parents got divorced. Uh, both sets of grandparents, my mom's parents were still married and alive, and my dad's parents was were still married and alive. And they had been through some really gnarly shit <laughs> together as couples through all those years. I also came from, uh, as I believe it was Randy Travis who once said, a long line of love, which was, <laughs> I just need to mo- note, a song that my mom's friend Ron slash my fake uncle Ron and her used to sing in their cute little band a long time ago. Like, Because they would sing at like funerals and weddings and stuff. Anyway. <laughs> cute I came from song. a long line of love too. <laughs> Lots of people not getting divorced. But generations before, yes. You know, so that was a fun one to find out when I was doing like family tree research. Um, because I didn't know. Nobody talked about it, right? Like both of my great grandfather and... I think my great-great-grandfather on two different sides of the family had multiple wives and different children, not at the same time. (laughs) That's not the kind of Christianity we did. So, but I did uh, not have any exposure to it outside of my, like in my immediate family with grandparents and my family, my parents with, I did have one uncle that I knew of who had been divorced and then later my aunt got divorced. And um, I think It was interesting to see that happen with my uncle. I was young, so no one talked to me about it that much. But the his first wife was kind of villainized in the family and made to seem absolutely awful. So when I was younger and I uh, was, as I've mentioned many different times, kind of in my mid to late 20s as a virgin being like, wow, this is really weird. What am I going to do about this? I had a favorite ex-boyfriend who was just a delight and a really fun person to be around and all kinds of great things. And I definitely still hang with this person to this day because they're just really delightful. Um, We had broken up a while back. I I can't remember what happened, but it was while we were both in Kansas because he moved out there with me once and um, was a Santa Cruz hippie anomaly in the middle of Kansas was, I think, what we called him. So... We uh, had Sounds broken hot. up probably like, it was hot. I'm not going to lie. I'll show you pictures later. Wink. Um, <laughs> love it. Yeah. He. So we broke up and then uh, it was probably a year and a half or two years, maybe even three years later that we, no, it wasn't that long ago. Not that long between. But he was, we were talking on the phone a lot and having conversations and I think kind of both in the same weird, like, uh, I mean, we've been whatever. He would just say stuff like, oh, maybe we should have gotten married. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, is that a thing that you should do? And we were both talking about how like somehow we were in this place where we both thought like, oh, you could just get married to somebody and it'll be fine. And so he had a friend of his um, from Kenya call him and be like, I've always been in love with you and I want to get married. And he's like, cool. All right. (laughs) Somewhere in the middle of all this. Wow. Yeah. And um, that was about the time that my now ex-husband came back on um, leave from a stint in YWAM. So he was there to supposedly raise money, but we just ended up hanging out and having a lot of fun. And I was like, well, 
yeah, maybe you can just get married to somebody. And I'd known him for a long time and a lot of different contexts. He was already like weirdly embedded in my family before I ever moved home. So um, that was cute too. So anyway, I decided like maybe this will be a way for us to move is we just get married because that's what people do. And, you know, it's hard to get by by yourself on one income and whatever. So we just casually got married sort of. Uh, he asked me to marry him while I was brushing my teeth, but we had already bought the ring that day. And then we got married some like six weeks later or something like that in his mom's living room with just a few people attending. Ooh, but my uncle who is divorced and remarried officiated the ceremony. So maybe he put a bad luck charm in there. Yeah, (laughs) that was the... That was the problem with your marriage is that someone who was divorced married you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and God he was hate- remarried, so he was doing adultery. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, God hates divorce. And so, like, just the fact that you had that as part of your marriage is really. Yep. I'm it's sorry. That's, that's, yep. It's how that's, it works. It's just that's science. That's it. That's the reason. That's it's just cause science. Cause and effect. Yes. And science. Yes. science. Yes. I can't believe I didn't think of it at the time. Like, how, how callous is my heart? Wow. Wow. Okay. So he marries us and we're like, yay. And then we go on with our lives and live in this tiny apartment. And really soon after we got married, he started expressing anger in ways that were shocking to me because I didn't ever see him do that before. Uh, So it was little stupid stuff like everyday things. Why is there laundry in here? And like throwing the laundry around the living room. I guess it it was just weird little things like that, where he was always angry at me. There was a lot of gaslighting before I had any idea what gaslighting was. I just thought I was the problem. And because we were raised evangelical, because I was raised in such a strong purity culture environment, for, for deep fans, you might recall from the episode, The Object of My Affliction about purity culture, part one of infinity, We talked a little bit at the end about how I think purity culture made me more susceptible to all kinds of abuse, including sexual abuse, but also especially including emotional and verbal abuse. I didn't think that he was wrong necessarily to yell at me. I just tried to make it right. So my job was to be like, what's wrong? How do I prevent this from happening? So I ended up learning artfully how to walk on eggshells at all times in my own life and my house. Found how myself. to be a quote unquote good wife, right? Like is, that's wife. right. You can't mm. make them mad. You have. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anticipate their needs. Make sure the laundry's not on the couch. Make yes. sure there's meals and food. And yeah, it's yes. a lot of labor that you're just uh, what's the word? Expected to do emotional expecting. labor. The- it's the expecting part. Yeah. Yeah, right. It is an expectation. And it's an unwritten expectation, too, because we don't really make explicit the contract we're entering into when we get married. We say vows, but those vows are very general and, you know, they might just be the vows that exist. I think we just did our regular wedding vows like we didn't write anything special. I don't think we were like in love at all. I think we just were like, ah, eh, we are fine. Like, I like him. He's cool. We have fun so, together. Like, It sounds very... Chill. Also, as a former wedding planner, I have to just say one really quick pet peeve about wedding vows. I just need this to be out in the world is that so many people in this day and age write their own vows. And 
I cannot like the type A Enneagram three person me cannot deal when people's wedding vows are just like a list of things that they like love about the person or like a speech, like an emotional. I'm like, it's a fucking vow. You're supposed to be making a promise to this person right now. And you tell them like what you're promising them. That is what a vow is. It is not a declaration of love. That is different. And I don't know why. It's like, of course, I'm as a wedding, you know, I'm not going to tell someone, I'm not going to look at their vows and be like, well, you shouldn't say that. That's stupid. I will never say that. But just know that I am silently judging you from afar. Just know. Perfect. So we're going to start planning Holy Ghosting weddings. We'll do some wedding counseling, <laughs> marriage counseling up front, which includes yeah. things like, have you had sex yet? You should try that. You should first. do that. Yep. And also Please marriage sure counseling after. Like I, I was just saying to my husband the other day, they just let us, they were just like, bye. Like it was just like, same thing when we had a baby though. I literally was like carrying my baby out being like, I'm just going to take him. They're just going to let me walk out with this. Yeah. Like I, yeah. It's, I don't know how to do that. I've never done this baby thing before. And they're we, like, bye. We can that go was how it was. Holy Ghosting boot camp as well. We've got, yes. we've got a plan for everything for how you should. Now we do. Get now married do. and have sex and like not have no, tons other of way around. baggage. Yeah. yeah. You have, well, yeah, have, to have sex. A Holy Ghost. I, I don't actually know if I believe in marriage anymore. So I did tell my husband I was going to say that uh, <laughs> during this episode. He's like, what, what are you recording? Oh, it's about divorce. And he's like, oh. Should I know something? And I was like, you might have to just listen to the episode. <laughs> See what I think Ooh, about the surprise. The big reveal. So I, I don't believe in marriage. Oh, you know what? I have a lot of thoughts about that as well, uh, which obviously, why wouldn't I? I have thoughts about everything. So that's just who I am, I guess. All right. That's why you're I, good at podcasting. Thanks. Oh, from my opinions? Yeah. Yeah. And my interminable long stories that take me forever to get out of my mouth. Oof, sorry. It's just so much. It was it was eight years of of things. So we got married. I was 26. Uh, we had no sexual chemistry at all. Like none at all. And so it was very, very unpleasant and very perfunctory and weird. Um, and really immediately after we got married, you know, what did you learn about men as a kid? What kind of sexual appetites did they have? Like, what Ravenous. Did you, yes. Only. Right? Always. Verbatious. And if they don't want to have sex, there's something wrong with you. That's right. And yes, so, it's your fault. cutely, my ex-husband did not want to have sex with me ever. And so I'd be like, we have to just at least like once a month, <laughs> please, because I, as you've heard in other episodes, uh, have always been quite interested in sexuality and sex. Like, it's something I like a lot. And so it's weird when you're matched up with somebody who just, it, the attraction isn't even there enough to make it like, okay, well, we, we can just be fuck buddies. Like, it's not, it's not mm. like that. So or it was not Well, for and me it's and just like marriage. not what we were told growing up at right. All. It is literally right. the opposite of everything that we are told. That men yes. are just like horny all the time. They want to rip your clothes off. They're lusting after you constantly. Yes. And then to get married and find out like, oh, that was incorrect about all men. And also, why did I choose to get married to somebody who like doesn't want to have sex with me? Like, it's so weird. So I didn't enjoy that. That was a bummer. Uh, the the verbal abuse got like really escalated over the years. Uh, and when I was pregnant, we did not have sex for a year and a half with my second child. Um, but it was also the moment that we were just heading into our seventh year of being married. So we were all almost to that seven year anniversary. 
which of course there's that seven year itch that the seven year itch. Yep, we that know is it also well. So much, yeah. Literally, I know Meg, you and I both, and I don't know about you, Lindsay, if you had better ring hygiene, but we both had our wedding rings uh, become start to viciously attack our fingers at that seven year mark. Oh, that's I had funny. a literal seven year itch where I could not wear my wedding bands at, at all, and I just from knuckle to no knuckle i don't know it was just a giant rash it was super painful mm-hmm. lasted yep. for a really long time so much so and i found out that i just needed to clean it better because there yeah. was probably like lotion or stuff gets stuck under there whatever yep. Yep. yeah so hot tips seven to years of not cleaning <laughs> clean those rings girls when you get married at 20 there's a lot that you don't know <laughs> Yeah. Ring hygiene, I guess, is one of them. <laughs> when you're yeah. 26 and you're like, you know what? We could just get married, I guess. Like, that's fine, right? And then we do. That's, you know, you make good choices, people. Just think it through. Just have And sex. also, you're I not weird it. if you're a virgin and you're old. Like, nobody cares. Listen, the thing about sex is you can have it when you want to. And generally, it's not like that big of a deal as long as there's consent and you're, you know, with an adult who has the ability to consent for themselves. And let's talk about how virginity is a construct that is about P and V. And Mm -hmm. again, that obsession with it was created because they just wanted to know that no P had been in the V before because they really only cared about young girls' virginity. They didn't really care so much about the young boys. So- yeah. Well, and it's another reason why people get married very young when they shouldn't be getting married. Is Which is why I got married to have sex. Yes, yeah. because Which we turns were out really not a great good reason. Yeah, kids uh, that did not have sex before we got married, which was celebrated on our wedding day, and that's super weird. <laughs> it is weird. What's almost more weird uh, to me, though, is that it's been 22 years and I'm still married to that same guy. And I did think it used to be because God hates divorce. And like now it's because we have agreements and we want to be around each other and have a life together. And that's such a different and better reason than God hates divorce, in my opinion, to stay with somebody. And some people like grow up together in a similar way. And as they find each other, they, they're going to compliment each other. And some people aren't like that is mm-hmm. the thing about getting married really young is that you don't fully know yourself. And I think that that's why it's so weird that we expect people to be with each other. And of course, do I think that love is a choice? Yes. Do I think that like we can choose to love people that maybe aren't our perfect match or are very different than us? Yes. But like you can also choose to walk away from something that's toxic because you have grown a completely apart as different people. Yeah. I'm probably getting ahead of myself because I know that that's what we're kind of talking about, you know, relationships and the messaging about divorce. We haven't actually gotten to the big, the big D. The big D. <laughs> and I don't mean the big dick. I mean the big divorce. Yeah, not the fun <laughs> kind of big D, just the, just the messy one. Well, I'm now I just can't get out of this hole I've dug yep, myself. Yep, so. yep, yep. Uh, yeah, even that felt like a double entendre and I didn't mean it to. (laughs) When I was, uh, when we were approaching our seven year anniversary, I was invoking the Bible in the Old Testament with the concept of the year of Jubilee, which was a concept where every seven years, 
uh, farmers would let their fields lie fallow. They would forgive debts against people who owed them money. It was really a blank slate. Let's all start over another seven year cycle. So seven is a fun one because now I'm just going to get like slightly dip into the woo of things. But it is a really significant number in all kinds of different mythologies and seven days and 40 days and 40 nights and other symbolic numbers that we think of related to Christianity are also seen in other mythologies throughout the world. And this isn't me being like, God is a myth, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you know where I stand. <laughs> you believe what you want. I don't care. It sounds great. But also don't be an asshole. So so at the seven year mark, I was like, let's just wipe the slate clean. Let's let go of both of our resentment and bitterness about whatever we hate about each other, <laughs> whatever else has been wrong. And let's see if we can make this work better. And so we did do that. It was better in a lot of ways. It was it was less fraught. I felt like I found my voice and my ability to take up space in that relationship in a different way. It was also a very weird time because I had not been to an evangelical church for a really long time, like probably seven or eight years or something like that. Not on a voluntary basis. Like my mom paid me and and my now ex-husband to play on their worship team at their old church for a while. But um, but we weren't going like because we wanted to be there. But um, once my kid, my first kid was born and he was probably about nine months old or so. We went to a funeral of this hilarious dude that we knew from the church, and it was at the church. And the pastor then was somebody I had also grown up with as my associate pastor in the church. Um, I ran into his car once with my dad's car, and then he just asked me to do free babysitting and forgave me like Christ would forgive me. So isn't that cute? Wow. His yeah, wife, so sweet. I know. His wife told him that God told her to ask me to come play piano because they didn't have anyone to lead worship that Sunday or something. And so I brought my ex-husband, who was a drummer, and we showed up and we just started going there for like two, three more years, four maybe. It was really interesting because I was there and involved. And I didn't really believe the things that I know I should have, I guess, been like espousing, but it did feel like a good place to be with kids. And part of the reason why we did it is because I told my ex-husband, like, at least when we go to church, you like try to not mm. be mean, you know, because mm. he does he does want to look good in front of other people. Like, this is just a classic thing, like abuse mm -hmm. -y people do. So, yeah, that was don't my basic exact childhood was just, you know, I think the more time our family spent at church or in church environments, Christian school, um, you know, midweek classes. I, I think that was in part because my dad was nice there. He was a nice guy who loved his family and cared about them and wanted the best for them. Like he would buy us donuts at church. Actually, I think they were free. He would let us eat a donut at church, you know, but not somewhere else because he was a cool guy. He was the nice guy. He was a friendly guy at church. Yeah. That's so I get it. My kids remember about church was eating donuts sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they get times, you. That's exactly right. There was a moment when something was transitioning. Somebody was leaving or moving or something. I, maybe it was his daughter was going to college. I don't remember when he asked me to be the worship leader. And so 
I said, we should talk about that more because I have some pretty huge issues in my marriage and I don't know that it's something I can deal with and lead worship. And as I told my old pastor what had transpired in my marriage and the way things really were at that time, which was miserable, and I was very hurt and harmed and not doing very well, like I didn't know really what to do. I just knew I didn't want to be abused anymore and I didn't deserve to be treated like that. And I didn't want my kids to be be seeing that. Like I didn't want my kids to see how their dad treated me and then go on to treat their people like that, people that they love in the future that way because it's really bad. It's just a cycle of abuse that we learn and then we keep it going. It's it's honestly akin to the concept of generational sin, I think. And so when yeah. we're able to identify unhealthy cycles that happen in our families or you know our partner's families or whatever, we have the power to decide to break those cycles and say, I'm not going to be that way. I'm going to learn and I'm going to keep growing and I'm going to choose to not continue this pathway. And uh, unfortunately, I think we just didn't get to that place. Like he just couldn't do that with me and I couldn't be there with him. And I th- we were just never really a good match. We just mm-hmm. sort of stayed married. My pastor then said, have you ever thought that maybe you're in this marriage for him and not you, that maybe it's all for his growth and betterment as a person. Oh my! I wish you guys wait, could and see the, my wait, wait. face and that right now. Okay, I'm sorry. I was like, oh yes, he does understand. He is describing this correctly, but uh, also, fuck no. Yeah, yeah. What I was a, like, that's not a positive thing you're describing. That's a trick question. Be zero, be nothing, be only for him. and all. Well, yeah. that's that's why he was mad about the laundry, because you weren't following that unspoken vow. Yeah, right, exactly. That when we got married, I would take on all housework, but also be the only breadwinner for the majority <laughs> of the time we're married. Cool, yeah, totally fine. It's all good. So, yeah, I go, yeah, pastor, I do think that. <laughs> That's because I'm codependent as hell, and I obviously think everything I do is for someone else because that's what I have been raised to believe, and I only know this is a problem because I read Codependent No More, and therefore I'm like, ah, that's what I'm doing. It's about trying to preclude someone abusing you. It's for people who've been in relationship with people dependent on a substance, but it's also 100% just as helpful to deal with people who have been under this strong religious influence or cultural influence or like, hey, it's a man. He gets to be this unhinged way. I'm a woman and I have the ability to be calm and collected and calm him down or whatever it is that we're expected to do in those kinds of situations. And I could not believe that my pastor said that to me. Even at that moment, I was just like, that's insane of you to say that to me. But I did stay married for a little while longer. I think, long story short, I mean, I don't need to belabor the point. And I don't mean to say anything bad about my kid's dad and and my ex-husband. He's a fine person. We all are fine people if we choose it. And, um, you know, are there things that I wish were a little different for my kids' experience and and mine? Sure. But I also am not here to like villainize one person and say he did bad things to me. Therefore, I'm scot-free on getting divorced. Like, I will say I didn't 
think of it as an option for way too long when I really knew very early on before mm. we ever had kids. Like within the mm. first two or three months, I was like, oh, this is probably bad. You know, my friends were worried about me. They're like, he won't let you do anything. He's isolating you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so anyway, the in the end, what really got me down the path of changing this was right after my eighth anniversary, I was in San Diego on a work trip and ran into this person on the street who I hung out with. <laughs> That sounds really crazy to say, but, you know, it's just like said some pickup line as I was walking by and I was like, thanks or something. And then he just kept walking with me. And and it was an interesting thing because I remember very consciously being like, I normally never talk to men when they talk to me, like never, mm. ever, because I don't want to. I just have yeah. this big like bubble of shield around me that's like, don't talk to me. I don't I'm not interested in you. I'm like repelling with this energy. But that day I felt so grounded and so on the right track with what I was doing for my business and my life. Like it just felt like a day where I was generous and wanted to connect with somebody because I was on a trip for, it was like the second week of this trip. But that whole story really came down to me reconnecting to my body because when this moment happened with this person, he ended up uh, coming up to my hotel room because we were just hanging out. And it wasn't like a bed, really. It was a, I mean, it, there was a bed in it, but it wasn't that just only. It was a little sweet. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Like, let's grab some beers and we can go hang out for longer because like everything was closed. It was nine or something. So we just went upstairs and hung out. And when we were downstairs, I was like, say this back to me three times. We are not going to have sex. And then he did that. And so I don't know why I just was like, sure, let's do this and hang out. So he came up um, and after a while, I just found that he wouldn't leave. <laughs> and so this wonderfully pithy saying came into my head that said, if he'll if he comes, he'll go. And I was like, first of all, that would make a great T-shirt. But second, <laughs> holy shit, I've thought this before. That mm -hmm. came to me because it's something I thought before under duress, not knowing that I was even being sexually abused. This was my first fiance who was doing that for a long time to me. And I realized that I had been carrying around this wound of sexual abuse and assault and harm for 20 years and had no, not 20, probably 15 by then, no idea that that's what was going on with me. And this experience very strangely internally for me helped me get that wound lanced and let all the rot just come out and like not be in me anymore. This whole story is very cosmic and strange, um, but it was a moment of me feeling very confused about what happened and later unpacking this with the therapist I started seeing after that all happened, it was apparent, I think it was one of the things she maybe asked me, did you give yourself a space to say yes if you wanted to? And I realized that I, of course not. Of course mm. I didn't give myself space to say yes to this person. Mm. Like, even though I was having fun, it was the first time I had fun in a mm. long time. And we were just like flirting and it was silly and walking around and I liked it. I was having fun. It was great. I enjoyed that night a lot. And 
not the sex part because it was it was not my I was not consenting to that. Um, and his persistence was very annoying, like very purity culture vibes to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I have to say now I have to blah, blah, blah. But there was just a point where I was like, fine, like fucking finish. And then you'll leave and I won't have to be here with you anymore. Um, and in the morning, I had to get up really early to um, serve some clients. I was doing a thing and and uh, sat down to like record my little video and just had to run to the bathroom and barf and I was in great pain all day. It was just terrible. But I did know after that, that my healing had to be a part of my kind of reconnect. Part of my healing had to be reconnecting with my body. And the feeling mm. in my body that I had had to be completely revived because I had numbed myself from the neck down so effectively that I didn't feel comfortable like feeling my pelvic floor. I didn't feel comfortable feeling into like my womb space and I didn't feel good in my stomach. I had so much anxiety and my stomach was in knots all the time when I was at home and my heart was shut down because I couldn't relate to the person that was supposed to be close to me, but who we mutually couldn't really stand each other, to be honest. It was a really hard moment of letting that healing take place. And then as that happened, and I'll tell you, I did it through like chakra meditation, a lot of work with like energy work and, you know, Eastern philosophies along with scientific vagal nerve based philosophy. I mean, it was just a really beautiful time of attending to my own body and my own safety in my body and my own responsibility to myself and my own soul to stay safe in this body and to know that my body isn't someone else's and that it isn't up for grabs by any dude who walks along and is like, nice tits. Like, it's done. That is not my Mm -hmm. life anymore. And I show up in a different way because I can put that energy forward and I know how to work with it and use it in a different way than I used to. And I will not tolerate being abused by anyone. I can't. It is no longer something I can handle. So there was a day when my ex-husband and I were really close to the end. he was cranky about something walking out of the house. We were going to my parents' house and kicking stuff around the yard and mad that the hose was out or something. And I was just like, hey, I just want you to stay home. Like, hey, stay, stay home, hang out. We'll, I'll come home soon. We'll tuck the kids in together. We'll just start again tomorrow. It's fine. I just don't want to be with this right now. And he said, no. And I was like, yeah, it's my family. You're not invited. Stay home. And he sat in my car and would not get out and was just like, no, you don't get to tell me that. And I was like, hmm, I don't have to do this anymore ever again. And that was the day that I started looking for a place to move out because I knew I had to go because he couldn't, he would never leave. I had to leave. And so I did. And of course, doing that was breaking bridges with a lot of everything, really. I mean, leaving my husband meant that Things with my own immediate family got really weird for a while. They were close Mm. to him as well, uh, separately from his relationship with me even. And um, divorce was very taboo in my family. It was hard for my mom, also a raging codependent, to not think it was her fault somehow that this had happened. It was 
It was a nightmare, but it was also the best time I've ever had in my life because I was finally taking a move that was my move that I knew I had to do. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. because of some extra third party, like God voice telling me to suffer more. It was a release from that that led me to free myself so I didn't have to choose suffering all the time. That honestly, as my therapist, who I love and I can't stop talking about always, um, once said to me, or maybe many times said to me, what if it's supposed to be easy? And it's Mm. not a cop-out. It's not a like, I don't ever have to stay and try and do hard things. But it is easy when my partner meets me on my level. When, Mm. yeah, sometimes we get in a like tiff or a fight, but I can be with that because even when he's being a jerk to me, I'm like, you are not being kind. We can talk about this when you're ready to be kind. I am not okay with you talking to me that way. So please don't. And it's well, like that's on. another message of evangelicalism, though, is that the marriage is hard thing mm-hmm. is so over and over. Marriage is hard. It's hard work. Da, 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 and like yeah. you have to sacrifice to yourself and your desires and you have to like love your partner and put them above all else. And of course, marriage is hard. But I think that like when you're in a toxic relationship, you just, it's so, well, what is the line that where it's too hard or where it's too much or they're too mean or like, and it's it's the marriage is hard and then it's the forgiveness and the the God can redeem anything. Yeah. And the, the, that phraseology, and I've seen it weaponized against so many women of just like, well, you know, you didn't pray hard enough or you didn't work hard or whatever, because like God should be able to redeem. And of course, it, it, if that's what you believe, like, yes, Crazy things can happen and there have been toxic relationships where people like magically become kind to one another again. You know, like anything can happen, but like for the most part, for the most part, like you got to do what's best for you. And that's just not a message we hear in Christianity. I mean, it is it is the op the, frankly the opposite. You have to die to yourself. And I and I get like I still feel very conflicted about some of those things because I do want to be a person that isn't selfish. I want to be a person that loves my family and and goes above and beyond to love and serve them and you know be a good wife and all of these things. Ugh, I feel icky even saying that. Yeah, good partner. I don't like. <laughs> I so we just don't really ascribe to a lot of gender roles. You in don't my house. have I'm a just like. You don't I'm have not, a t-shirt that has like wifey and white oh my script God. on it. I actually almost texted you the other day because I saw a mug in Goodwill that said wifey on it and I took a picture and I almost said it because it just like even that it just makes me so I was like, why would anyone buy this piece of shit? <sighs> like who wants to be a wifey? Not me. Anyway. I hope it was someone who got divorced and was like, fuck you, wifey. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it had to be. That's that's what I hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Meg, I know your parents got divorced. Like, Lindsay, you have just mentioned knowing people who were kind of treated in this weird way. But I will absolutely say that the main reason why I stayed married for too long, and I did, it was because of those convictions, those messages, the continuing affirmation of those messages in my friend groups and with my church and my family and all of that. I felt like I had to be the one to make him somehow a better person, which is Mm -hmm. also a fucking weird way for us to approach relationships. It was like, iron sharpens iron as man Mm -hmm. sharpens man. Like, cool, I guess. But also, like, let's maybe not partner with somebody we think needs to change all that much. Like, I, when I got together with my current partner seven years ago, I was like, 
I think a lot of this is choosing what kind of crazy you can live with. Like, I did not like the crazy I lived with before, and he did not like the crazy he lived with before. But if we like each other enough and the things that are crazy about us are doable for the other, like, cool, that's great. Then we figure it out. And if not, like, fine, this isn't the kind of crazy you can live with. Like, that's fine. If I'm too messy for you, uh, go ahead and... One, we can bring our housekeepers in more, which we did. <laughs> and also, you know, that might be a bridge too far for you. Like, this is how I am. This is how you are. We can coexist in this space as our entire selves and accept each other for that. Or we can harp on each other to change it or fix it or make it different. When mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. I, once I turned 40, I was kind of like, I'm pretty baked in as a fucking person. Like, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. not trying to change and grow. Like, I absolutely want to continue to grow and become better. But I also have priorities about how and where that needs to be. Mm -hmm. And I got to be honest, like, cleaning up clutter and following my kids around to make sure their socks are picked up and put in the laundry is not at the top of my list. Sorry. Anyway. There's only, only so many things that you can... Uh, I have a question for you, Meg, knowing that you are a child of divorce. Don't you love mm -hmm. that term? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How did the church deal with that? And I'm curious how it went for you and also for your mom, because my guess would be that it was like, unless you were at a church that was unlike mine, my guess is that it was they weren't super pumped on it, at least at the beginning. Yeah, it was the 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s when kind of things started to break down. So I was born in 1980, um, which makes math and telling stories really easy. And so I was about 10, 9 or 10, when I started to kind of personally look at my family and think, this is not cool. Like, I was really able to see the difference between like at home dad and outside dad. And, you know, there's like holiday dad, um, outside dad, church dad, work dad, trip dad. Um, that's like one person. And then there's at home dad, in the car dad. Um, yeah, in private dad. And that's a different person. And when I got older, I realized that my mom had been hiding those arguments and fights and keep kind of keeping my dad quiet when the kids were awake and waiting until we were in bed when we were younger, um, but she had been experiencing his abuse, you know, since before she had us. So she did a really, really good job of hiding it. When we were young, we thought everything was great. We were like a perfect American family. I remember thinking that. Uh, gross. And, uh, you know, as we got older and we started to see more and experience more, um, you know, that abuse would go past my mom and it would come at my brother and I. And when you grow up with someone like that, um, when they become aloof or don't come around, um, stay late at work, it's nice. It's like yeah. really nice because it was different when it was just the three of us. Um, so yeah, when my parents... I don't even remember, honestly. It's like I've blocked out that entire thing. I have these like little peak memories of things like going to the police station <laughs> to get interrogated about who I wanted to live with. Uh, and then when I said my mom, they were like, too bad. Your dad has rights or whatever. Um, 
And so, yeah, so helpful. Why why did you bring me here? Yeah, Yeah. why did you ask me if you're not going to listen to me? They're like, okay, thanks, thanks, little girl. Police for being a part of this transaction. Yeah, right. What the hell? Stop doing that. You're not equipped. You don't have to be in charge of everything. Chill. (laughs) Like, calm the fuck down, guys. It's true. If you're worried about somebody's safety, sure, bring an officer. But like, they shouldn't be the ones in charge of this uh, this questioning. Yeah. So. When my parents, you know, got divorced, told us about the divorce or told us about getting separated, I was ecstatic. I I was so happy. I was like, oh, great, because I love it when it's just my mom and my brother and I. Those are my favorite childhood experiences. Uh, And so I I was all for it. Um, I don't think my opinion mattered much in the public eye because the church was not all about it. My mom's family was not all about it. Uh, My dad actually went to live with my mom's sister and her husband, which is wild to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my uncle was very like, you know, your crazy sister kicked him out. Uh, We got to support his family. We got to support him. We got to enable his abusive behavior. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. And then did his wife just go along with it like, okay, I guess, honey, since you are my king. Yeah, basically. It was like, well, my, but my sister and, you know, he's like, well, if she's uncomfortable coming here. So basically, we couldn't go to my aunt's house where my cousins lived, which is like, a, was a very safe place and in like another, you know, kind of second home for us. Uh, we couldn't go there. It wasn't a safe place anymore. So yeah, it there was a lot of things about the leading up to the divorce that were really, really hard because I think once he started to feel like he was losing his grip over everyone, his control over all of us, uh, he didn't like it at all. And, you know, I was a rebellious bitch because I wasn't doing exactly what he wanted me to do anymore. Uh so, yeah, it got it got really bad. I didn't uh, divorce my dad, though, until after I got gotten married and I was in my early 20s. And um, my husband just very lovingly for years and years was like, you don't have to take his calls. You don't have to stay on the phone with him yelling abusive things at you. He doesn't have any control. He doesn't have any power. Uh, but I was a respectful, good Christian girl, so I I allowed that. I allowed that abuse to continue for a while. He had just so much control over me. And yeah, when I was in my early 20s, I, I finally was like, look, I just need a break. I don't know if it's going to be a year. I don't know how long it's going to be. But if you need to contact me for any reason, here's my husband's information. Uh, so he did tell his family, though, that my husband is an abusive, controlling, horrible person that, you know, I needed to get divorced from. Which is so funny if you know Andy. <laughs> He's like the most tender hearted, like, lovely I mean, person. He, Takes he one watched to no me. one, Meg's dad. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Andy cry more than you. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Actually, yeah, <laughs> like, same. Frankly. <laughs> Like, I I mean, it took, I mean, my husband watched me for years be abused by this man and was just like, it's your relation. Like, 
he wasn't going to push me or force me or anything. But I mean, my friends literally had an intervention and all had to sit down and say, look, this is abusive behavior. He is abusing you and we love you. And you are a shell of a person. I I mean, he, hmm. he would break me for days. He would break me. So yeah, it's now been uh, over 10 years since I have seen him or spoken to him or anything. Um, the last time and only time that my kid ever saw him was at my brother's wedding. Uh, my kid was two, so he doesn't remember anything. Uh, and he's never asked. He doesn't want to see a picture of him. He he knows what kind of a person he is, and he's grateful. He's grateful to my mom. He's grateful to me. Um, our divorces from him were a really positive thing for us and our family. That sounds like it was absolutely necessary. Do you feel like you hung on to the relationship with your dad longer than you should have because of like religious messages or? Yeah, I think obligation. I think it was that respect authority, respect your father in particular. And, you know, he did not walk me down the aisle. I did not allow him to walk me down the aisle. He did not give me away. I was not in a bonded relationship with him when mm -hmm. I got married. Uh, but I still felt this obligation that I had that I must maintain a godly, respectful relationship. And so if he yeah. called me, I would stay on the phone until he was ready to be done. So, mm -hmm. you know, it could be an hour, it could be longer that as a, you know, married 20-something-year-old, he was still had just so much power, so much control. And that was ingrained because it was attached to God. It was attached to my sin, you know? Mm -hmm. It was attached mm -hmm. to my salvation. And he's the one who indoctrinated that in me. So, uh, of course, I was going to maintain well, yeah. that relationship. And if you believe in the power of God to redeem anything and you believe in forgiveness and all this stuff, it makes setting boundaries really difficult. Really because difficult. Where's the line? What's too far? What, like, what can't be? Re so it, it's, and I don't, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if it's intentional across the board. Some people like it's one of those things where I think that like we internalize those messages and then we just we don't know how to. Yeah, how to figure I mean, out I internalized is. that message that I'm not allowed to have my own boundaries when yep. it comes to someone else with authority in my life. So. Mm -hmm. I, I never had appropriate boundaries, not with church authority, with any male authority. Right. Right. And I well, also put that onto my young husband, where I was like, you are the man of the household. You are supposed to lead mm -hmm. us. Lindsay, you mentioned, you know, wanting your husband to lead you in prayer. And oh like, gosh, I was him so being stuck like, on it. What are you talking about? <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> Why is this a preconceived notion that I decided was going to be like the maker? I haven't prayed with my husband in years and our marriage is better than it's ever been. So <laughs> um, just yeah. going to just going to throw that out there. But like it's it's wild. So like I'll rattle off a couple like experiences like the first like major like close person I knew who got a divorce was uh, we she was my best friend in high school. We were both pastors kids. Um, we had been homeschooled in our younger years, went to Christian high school together and we were just besties and we were very different. But her denomination she was part of was very 
very conservative. They're super Calvinist. If you know anything about Calvinism, it's like, mm-hmm. it's it's intense. It's she a would bummer go, is what it yeah, is, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And they were so, her like little sect of like their denomination, they wanted you to marry in that denomination. Oh, geez. Like they did not want you it's marrying outside. It's a great outside. way to get more congregants. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it was limited because their church was very small and relatively dysfunctional. And Ew. so like I remember like, <laughs> Her best friend in her church, because there was very few people her age, ended up marrying a guy that was like much older than her and I think already had children. And so it, and it's funny, my friend. Oh, this is getting into some. Yeah. Like, and so my, my oh. friend actually ended up marrying a guy that was 15 years older than her. And I was the maid of honor in her wedding. And we kind of lost touch over the years. Um, And anyways, like fast forward to. I'm now I'm now married and she came up to visit me and just like basically like told me all this like how terrible he she had gone through some really intense like surgeries they had had two kids together and but he just was super mean and I again I'd never seen any of it he seemed super nice and she went to her church elders to ask permission to get a divorce because that's how intense her church was and they said no even though she told them like all the abusive things that he had done. And again, I don't think he'd ever hurt her, but he had like punched holes through walls, like was a very, had a huge temper. Um, and so she went. I do want to back up just a second there because I want, I, I my dad said a similar thing. He said, well, I never hit, I never hit your mother. Right. And what so he that's meant fine. was no right. hand to right. the face. Mm-hmm. 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 But he used so many other physical tactics, not even just throwing things or punching holes and things, but he would like hit her with his body, oh. run into her with his what? body, you know, like Ugh. stop her with it. It was like the the amount yeah. of things that it's, he would do that he so could then stand yeah, on that pedestal and be like, I never hit your mother. I didn't lay a hand on. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Like, you did everything else and you're a horrible person. So it doesn't matter. It's all the same umbrella. <laughs> like we're still talking yeah. about this intimidation. Right. You could never lay a hand on a person and still yes. be a completely abusive partner. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, it is so much about the, well, I could have been worse. So you mm. should be glad that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you mm-hmm. know, didn't hit you. Even though I yelled at you and picked apart literally everything you ever did for the whole time I've ever been around you. You know, it's like, yeah, there's lots of different ways to abuse people. And a lot of the time, the effect of being in a relationship where there's a twisted power dynamic or where one person exerts more power over the other, whether it's positional or, you know, religious authorities or whatever we accept as authority or friends or people we care about who we just want to be happy, whatever it is. It is not different from the after effects of being abused in different ways. There's multi- there's many different layers and there's a lot of magnitudes mm-hmm. this could go. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying like, oh, someone said something mean to me once and, you know, but at least they didn't punch me. That's the same. It isn't. It's just that I think the effect of being in an environment that is conducive to abuse or allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, yes, church, yes, family. Yes, at your workplace, like people talk Mm -hmm. about toxic work environments and I'm like, you're working in an abusive workplace. It's the same thing and we should call it that because we are tiptoeing around the truth in those moments. Sorry, I just, I feel like it's like frustrating. It's it's not surprising that the church turns a blind eye to abusive marriages, especially ones where it's like the woman's not showing up with black eyes, say. Like 
it's for them if it's just a personality thing they're just being kind of mean well that can be fixed like well, also is to- she doing the chores like right. there's is this, it her right is she there's not this being- perspective of like well is she not being a good wife because he does have some rights here in the church's eyes it's like if you're not being a good Proverbs 31 woman, uh, yeah. sorry, Susan, like you gotta, it's, did he, did he lay a hand on you? Did he commit adultery? Then I don't know what to tell you. That's just, what my mom was told at yeah. least by yeah. uh, the pastors. It was it just, a, sorry, I mean, there's no way out. Hard line, it has to be adultery and nothing else. And that right? is biblical. Mm-hmm. And so that, that friend of mine from high school, she ended up going and sleeping with someone to blow up her marriage so that her pastors would grant her and she like got excommunicated from her church because it's like they leave you no choice but to blow up your freaking life. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's like, and then you're tainted as a whore and you're, and then it's like, and the horrible thing is like, rather than leave that marriage with like some semblance of maybe dignity, then she's going to feel shame and it's her fault and da, da, da. And like, I know people that stayed in marriages because they were prophesied over it, that they were supposed to be together, that God, like, Someone who stayed in a, an incredibly toxic marriage for 10 years because God had prophesied over them. I mean, my youngest sister got married to someone she met in YWAM and she's currently going through a divorce from him right now. And, you know, it is just, and I remember, uh, you know, I feel bad, like my gut reaction to it was sort of like a, an, a, I didn't know like anything that was going on, you know, on the surface, everything seemed fine. And so like, I was shocked, but I remember thinking, cause they have k- children together, like, was this best for the kids? It's going to be so hard on the kid. You know, that's like where your brain, as a culture, I don't even think that as Christians, I think that that's what we do, that we think that like families who stay together is better. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, but if they're miserable and they are being horrible to one another and this is a toxic relationship, how is that, how is that better for anybody? How is that well, better? I'm going to let you know, it's not better for it's, the kids. Right. Like, I, I hated it. I hated it. It's not like kids are stupid. Stupid who don't understand when you're laying in bed at night and you're hearing your parents lose their shit. Yeah. And things are breaking and think that's not a safe feeling. That's not a like peaceful way to fall asleep at night. Oh, no wonder I have insomnia. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> I didn't get a lot of good night sleeps <laughs> as a kid yeah. because they would wait till we were, quote, in bed. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, you know, Whatever happened, happened. It, you know, it was like my dad kind of had free reign at that point. That's awful. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I liked it. I liked it when he moved out. <laughs> Yay. I, my kids were so little when I got separated, when I moved out, and um, and then we got divorced. It took almost a year. Um, but thank you for doing that for them when they were younger. Honestly, I, I mean, as a child of divorce... I don't think I've ever referred to myself as that. That's pretty <laughs> fun. I like it. Um, no, because there was a stigma, right? Like my mother was a divorced woman. I was a child of divorce. I had to carry that. Well, people think you're like more broken, right? Yeah, like- it was so weird. I was like, this has been the best, most calm, most serene time of my life was just not having my dad around. <laughs> hmm I'm I'm grateful that your mom had the strength to do that and knew like what your family needed. I think that sadly there's a lot of people who who don't. I we had a listener reach out to me recently that was saying like you know she's reevaluated her relationship with the church and has um, 
because of how the church treated her when she divorced her, uh, you know, abusive ex. And I know that, like, uh, the thing I know about this episode is that there are so many people who feel this way and who have been in this boat. And while I know we're primarily talking to women, we know that marriages can be toxic for for anybody of any gender. Um, and, and it's not even just marriages. It can be partnerships, whatever it is. But specifically, since we were raised, we are all women who were raised in the evangelical church, and we were raised and we were told that God hates divorce. And that is what we were told over and over and over and again. And and it, we believed it so deeply that it's it's been really hard to disentangle that. And, and why is divorce... It, like, you know how evangelicals, like, they don't say that there's levels of sin, but there's, like, really levels of sin, you know, the things <laughs> yeah, that they really. believe are, like, worse. Right, the right. ones that they just kind of, like, slide under the rug. Like, mm-hmm. I don't it's know. It's like my divorce, community. homosexuality. Mm-hmm. What's another one? Murder. <laughs> Women abortion. having sex ever. Abortion. Oh, yeah. Abortion. Before marriage. That's marriage. murder. Oh, yeah. Premarital sexual relations by women. By women. Yeah, but I things think those like are the dr- top getting, ones. Like getting drunk. Um, <laughs> those are all the same. Greed, hoarding of resources. None of those. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Christians don't like to talk about the sin of um, of of greed and gluttony and hoarding. They they like to have their their cash monies, and they don't like to hear what Jesus has well, to say about that. Well, if it's about food <laughs> and shaming bodies, <laughs> oh, that right. yeah, yeah. is true. Then then yes, we're all for that. For but sure. we get to that in another episode that you've probably already listened to because I think this episode's coming out after that one. Anyways, um, yeah, it's a whole mess, and I and I think that the the saddest thing about this particular belief that we all held on to is just like the amount of damage it does and is still doing, and it just makes me really sad that people stay in really awful situations and like watching my sister go through what she's going through right now is. Is horrible and it's taken us you know my parents were in shock and they did not handle it well and you know they're pastors and for them like were these shining you know they talking about how their kids are also married and we also love jesus da, da, da. now my sister's like i'm not a christian anymore and i'm getting divorced and they like lost their minds but you know my dad this week like he hung up on my sister's and ex-husband he was so angry at him about because he was experiencing my brother-in-law was gaslighting him and anyways it was just like my parents have seen the truth and they're just like yeah girl like they're in total support of my sister now they uh, they see that it was toxic and that she needed to get out and unfortunately i think with a lot of christians for so many of their positions they aren't able to see the other side or the truth until they maybe experience it personally very true yeah yeah and they do like you can change yeah, you can yep. change your mind on things for sure. But like, it's like my mom became friends with all these Muslim women and now has through my sister. And so now she has a totally different view on immigration. But it's like not until it affects them. I mean, same thing. I mean, now my mother has like biracial grandchildren. And so she's like, oh, racism, that's a thing in America, you know, like, and good for them for actually learning eventually. But it's just, I hope that it doesn't take people being abused emotionally physically or otherwise for people to realize that like hey maybe divorce isn't the end of the world maybe god doesn't hate it and maybe in some cases god could actually celebrate it and like maybe god loves it i know sarai loves it i fucking love divorce. (laughs) i do i honestly i can't imagine my life like i was just thinking we've been separated for almost eight years and I can't imagine what would have happened in those eight years if I if the thing that 
caused me to go and the way that I did feel like I had to go, I also, I don't think I was consciously doing it this way, but I, I like your friend, blew up my marriage in a way that was indelible, even though he kept being like, oh, I have to forgive you. Like Christ forgives the church. And I'm like, like, I don't want you to. I need you to let me go. Like, I don't mm. know how else to end this mm. because it was a dynamic where I just couldn't be. Oh, it was like when I uh, got raped by that guy. And he later was like, your no wasn't strong enough. Ugh. And I felt like that was what oh, my damn. whole marriage was as well. Like my no wasn't strong enough ever. He would never hear me say no. He wouldn't respect my no. And a lot, a lot of my life since then having kids, right, that I'm raising, we share them half and half. So I, I have my kids every other week. And that has been a big one for me is like, when I say no, it means no. I can explain to you why it's a no. But after I explain it to you one time, you don't need to keep asking me for that thing because I said no. I'm not changing my mind. Like, what a mean mom. Just kidding. I'm <laughs> not mean enough sometimes. <laughs> but I well, absolutely am like, and you wanna, no means you wanna no. Raise you want to raise boys that respect that no means no. Yeah. Like hu humans that understand that no means no. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I am glad that you said earlier, Lindsay, that, that we um, we do need to acknowledge the heteronormativity yet again of this. It is true that so much of that is also just indoctrination, being taught that way, being shown that there is no other alternative if you want to be in love. And Right. Yes. Well, we never were allowed to think the like gay marriage wasn't okay growing up. So like right. gay divorce naturally wasn't even a thing we could think about. So yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah. that just wasn't allowed. Or like you so. were going to be really progressive if you said like, it's okay to be gay. You just have to never, ever have sex ever. You just have to be celibate for the rest of your life. Wow. Correct. What an open-minded approach. Like, wow. Super. And no marriage <laughs> yeah. and no, therefore no divorce. Yeah. So yeah. You're yeah, welcome, they, gay people. Yeah. They solved it. You're welcome. <laughs> I just hope that people will understand and like learn that I don't think God wants you to be suffering at the hands of someone who's supposed to love you. Because when we think about the model of love as God, and that is the story of God is love, we how is it that we're cool with being treated by a loved one so badly that we lose our own sense of self? And the truth is, to, again, to me, that, that sense of connection to God has always been very real to me. And I'm saying God right now just to be relatable, I guess. But I, I do see that as something that's available to all of us, this power of Godness. And it is also just you. It, it is human and it is supernatural, but it's both at the same time. So we're all a little bit of magic walking around. It is possible to find the right supports to find somebody to strategize with you if you are being abused. But also, like, tell the truth to people that are safe people that you know you can trust. Probably not at your church. And you probably will get kicked out of your church. And straight up, good riddance, because they're not your real friends if they're not there to help you after the shit hits the fan. Like, Amen. that is just true. So get out of there if that's happening to you. And or find a different place where you can connect with people on a spiritual level that isn't going to be so judgmental of you. I mean, if yeah. that means you go to a different church and you just never take your spouse, like, great, who cares? Or you just don't have to. You'll find your way through it. But know that that power is yours 
and know that it is possible for you to refine yourself and to give yourself the space you deserve and need to take up so you can live your full, beautiful, wild life. And without that, what is the point? Like, we're just here to suffer and die and get a crown in our jewel. Or I always say a crown in our jewels, <laughs> a jewel in our crown in heaven, which yeah. we're going to just throw on the crystal sea right away anyway. Like, who cares? Stop. <laughs> yeah, dude. Everything you just said, like, it's we're trying to create a community here where people can feel safe to leave behind some of the toxicity of our youth. And we know how long it's taken us to disentangle and how entwined we still feel with a lot of those messages. And so, yeah, it, this one was maybe a heavier one than some of our episodes as of late, but yeah, it's, if you need to get out, get out. And there are good people out there who will support you. And if your church doesn't, then screw them, find a new church or leave church entirely. Like it's no wonder that the people are leaving the church in droves because the message is like, I, I still can't get over what your pastor said to you that your like purpose in life was to like make your ex-husband better like screw that nope like yeah. don't let anybody tell you that shit that's right your pastor doesn't know everything even though he thinks he does <laughs> another heteronormative thing but if your pastor is a lady then probably she might have better insight i don't know just kidding i'm just kidding i'm not a man hater my pastor is a lady and would not care if you got a divorce just saying like See? If you're gonna go to church, like the Episcopals are where it's at. I'm just saying. Go to find an Episcopal <laughs> church, or just be like, actually, I'm good. I don't think I need to be a Christian anymore. Yeah. Or yep. do something in between. Who cares? Find your own path. That's the whole point. Have fun. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And this has been Holy Ghosting. Holy Ghosting is supported by our patrons. If you'd like to join us and become a ghostie, head over to patreon.com backslash holyghosting. And there's even more ways to support the show. Rate, review, and share every episode. Holy Ghosting is a same-team media production. Our producer is A.P. Weber. Join the conversation on socials, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Holy Ghosting Pod. That's how it works. It's just science. The that is just cause science. and effect yes. and science. Yes. Science. Yes. I can't believe I didn't think of it at the time. Like how, how callous is my heart? Wow. Wow. Wow.